It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. I read a book at some point last year called The Will of Heaven. Oh. I'm not sure where I even heard about it, but it taught me so much about the sweet nature of elephants. I know that so many people love elephants. I grew up with a a friend that she collected elephants and then a lady that used to come to my cycle class that was elephants were her favorite animal, but I just saw them as stinky giants (laughs) at the Oregon Zoo. So the wrinkly skin and you you don't see much personality with them. So I just kind of saw them as slow moving and pretty boring to watch. On the Zulon, you know, where they do the concerts and um, different shows for the kids, I always cross my fingers for the wind to blow the other direction. They are stinky. They're super stinky, and they're, like, right next to it. So the elephants were never my favorite, but this book changed me. It taught me how smart and loving these creatures are and that we need to do more to learn from them and about them. Debbie Ethel, she's actually Oregon-based, now lives in Oregon, but... She loved elephants from the time she was a little girl, like eight years old. She saw some interview and fell in love with this elephant named Eleanor. She wrote, like, drew pictures of them and followed them. But um, unfortunately, Debbie also discovered how much she liked alcohol at a very young age. She was bullied in school and um, turned to alcohol to kind of numb the feelings. So her book... The Will of Heaven, it sounds like a religious book. It's not in any way, shape, or form, but it was heart-wrenching and hard to put down at the same time because she, you know, painful experiences, but a lot of truth in there. She's very open about the struggles she went through during her addiction, and the thing she kept coming back to was the elephants. So someday I'm going to do a deep dive on this woman because her story is truly inspiring. She lost jobs. She, like every school before she got sober, she flunked out of. She just was failing, you know, one thing after another and hit rock bottom. You'd think, you know, this has to be rock bottom. And then no, she got even lower. So she at times slept in her car And she finally did get her life together. Boy, did she get it together. She went back to school, I want to say at like 41. Wow, that's great. Yeah. It took her like two years because the prerequisites to get into the program that she wanted to do, it it took her a while. So anyway, it was a good reminder that it's never too late to follow your passion. So there you go. But her passion was helping the elephants. And I could go on and on about her story, but um, I really wanted to cover... The foundation she started in 2015 and their mission to save wild African elephants. Oh. Uh, I was uh, saddened to read that the U.S. is second behind China in illegal trafficking trade. Oh, no. Uh, and that's because mostly ivory. Oh. Which I feel like we should do better. But yeah. just as her book was a reminder that there's always hope, Coda, like the Black Mamba is a little foreshadowing there, what's coming up. Um, what's Coda? It, the acronym is Keepers of the Ark. Okay. Don't you love that? I, I do. just you know, I think it's super sweet. 
But with Coda, she's trying to educate the importance of saving elephants to create sustainability for survival of planet Earth and humans and, and all of us. Coda partnered with, and I'm not going to say this right, Inzeku, which is an orphan children's project. I guess that in whatever language it stands for elephant. Okay. It means elephant, Inzeku. They're in rural Kenya, and they educate the importance for humans and elephants to coexist in peace. They, with CODA, they went to, once again, I'm going to mispronounce this, Kalamega to teach, but discovered when they got there that there were no desks inside the school. The roof was falling apart, like huge holes, and water poured into the classrooms. So the floors were just like a muddy mess, and the kids were expected to sit and learn on these muddy floors. She said, you can't save the elephants if you don't help the people, period. And I love that because so much of this goes back to poverty and um, helping people just be in the cycle. So they decided to start there and aimed to build 100 desks. Their First Things First campaign, which is on their website, began with 100 desks for one school. But they soon discovered there were five other schools. That needed wow. that needed desks. So they really they were there for a while then. <laughs> yeah. So with support from the Wilsonville Rotary Club, that's oh. what I love. I know. Oh. So kind of with you know you had the local turn with the bike slash yeah. coffee, coffee shop. shop. Yeah. This has a Wilsonville you know close to home as well as the Kakamega Rotaract. That's their local club. They were able to provide enough desks for every single student, and we're talking 900 desks. That's awesome. So not only could they provide the desks, but they also were able to hire 25 local laborers for the project, which that put money back into their struggling economy. It's hard to believe that building desks can save elephants, but removing this one barrier is helping educate the community, and that is what's making a difference. The whole education just letting people know i love the local tie both with the wilsonville rotary club and i think if i remember right debbie when she at the one she went back to school it was at portland state so once again local i love that it's education and teamwork together always with hope but never losing hope So before I go into my deep dive for this week, I wanted to give a few um, rhino facts. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yay. Um, Rhino actually comes from two Greek words, rhino and seros, which translated is nose horn. Oh, really fitting. Yeah. September 22nd is World Rhino Day. They communicate through sound and scat. So snort means they're angry. If they huff, it's like a greeting. If they squeak, they're probably confused. And their scat, they can determine sex and marking territory with their poo. They're little investigators. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Disgusting. But yes, they are. They're also fast, between 30 to 40 miles per hour, which is smoking fast. And they can swim and dive. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. They're the second largest land mammal, only behind elephants which we just kind of talked about and they can get up to 5,000 pounds so and then they can vary from six feet tall to 11 feet they have a very thick but sensitive skin sensitive to the sun so that's why they roll in mud and their best friends 
are ox peppers, which is a bird. Okay, I was going to say, what is that? <laughs> that they eat the insects and ticks off their backs. Oh, so a symbiotic relationship. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the ox peckers also let them know if uh, danger's nearby by causing a commotion, which I thought was super cute. Oh, wow, that's cute. Shocking. I can't even remember where I heard about this group of women, but they're definitely my new heroes. The Black Mamba Anti-Poaching Unit. Um, or Black Mamba APU. They're a mostly female ranger unit protecting wildlife in South Africa. In 2015, they were awarded the Champions of the Earth Award by the United Nations. Uh, how, 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 what are the ages of these people? Just kind of um, trying to get a picture on that. Mostly after high school. Okay. So most of them are, some of them are as young as 18. They are fairly young. Okay. So I wouldn't, um, it, it was hard to tell, but. I don't. Once they get older, they move into other areas of helping. Okay, gotcha. Rather than actually being the rangers, but uh, they've won all sorts of awards. So the Champions of the Earth was just one of them. They protect the Balul Natural Nature Reserve and Greater Kruger National Park in South Africa. It was started by Craig Spencer. Which is kind of funny because Craig is my husband, Spencer's my son. Oh, wow. It'll make that guy easy for, easy for me to remember. But he's the head warden of the Balool National Reserve. And Amy Clark and him teamed up to, she's from Trans Frontier Africa, a nonprofit conservation project in South Africa. And the Black Mambas started with six members, and now it's grown to, I've read, you know, and I don't know if this is because of COVID or, or whatever, but different stats. Some okay. say they have 26. Some say it's like 36. But I put 33 and 33 women and two men. And obviously they want to grow and expand because there is a need, but they can only do that as funding allows. They're named after the venomous snake. Ooh, I know that name is scary. <laughs> well, and Black Mamba, I, I, in doing this research, obviously Kobe Bryant comes up, and I guess he named him, he gave himself that nickname as he was dealing with a lot of personal turmoil. Okay. And so it was his way of having like a separate identity. Wow. So, you know, there's the snake and then Kobe Bryant, and then this group of ladies. They dress in military fatigues. And spend 21 days of the month patrolling the grounds for poachers. Wow. Because unemployment in Africa is so high. I've read, you know, stats everywhere from 32.5% to 80% in some parts. So, I I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm not sure. But I just know unemployment is high in Africa and probably even more so with COVID. Poachers prey on the poor and desperate and in a given time, there are around 12 active poaching gangs looking for new recruits. Wow. They target and seek out individuals that might easily be persuaded for financial reasons. And obviously, with unemployment so high, there's going to be... Yeah. Is there fines for these, for people that poach? You know, they didn't talk about fines, okay, but they did, they have arrested that. quite a few people. Yeah. And there's, like, these are the, this is the bottom. Like, you start with these ladies, and then if they need backup... They call the big guns in, and, you know, they just work their way up. I know that it said that they put six poachers in prison. Wow. So I would assume that There's, there are fines, right. but I, there are consequences, definitely, to poaching. Okay. But I'm not sure exactly what all those are. The rhinoceros isn't hunted for its meat, but instead its horn. It's made of keratin, the same thing that makes up our hair and nails. But unfortunately for the rhino, the horn is used for traditional Chinese medicine. 
It's ground up and consumed, cure, I say cure with air quotes, an assortment of ailments from hangovers and headaches to cancer and terminally ill patients. It's also an aphrodisiac or natural Viagra for men. Obviously, there's no scientific basis for the medicinal claims, but that doesn't stop the desire in certain countries. Sadly, it's also seen as a status symbol, as it's a sign of wealth. Just having one displayed on a table is impressive in some cultures. I just got to ask, like, so they get they take the horn, and then what about the rest of the of the rhino? It's left to die, and also sad. Oftentimes, the child sees the parent, and and I'm sure they remember this, right? Oh. So yeah, they're just they're they they only care about the horn. They're not they don't use the meat or anything else. They just care about that horn. That's awful. And because of this, the rhino horn can bring in some serious cash. We're talking like $60,000 a pound on the black market. Poverty and quick cash are a sad combination for the rhino. And we're not always talking novice poachers here. Some are quite sophisticated. With a helicopter, they can easily spot them, drop a poacher to remove the horn, and return to the helicopter within 10 minutes. The rhino doesn't stand a chance when they're hunted from the air and shot with guns or tranquilizing darts. Once they remove the horns, usually with a chainsaw. Oh, that's so gruesome. I know. They often bleed to death. Over 7,100 African rhinos have been killed by poachers in the last 10 years. In 2017 alone, 1,028 rhinos were poached, totaling three every day. Wow. That's the western crazy. black rhino was declared extinct in 2011 from poaching. The five types of rhinos that remain are all on the endangered list, and three of those are on the critically endangered list. So it's not just rhinos that are killed by the poachers. The International Ranger Federation reported that 269 rangers were killed across Africa between 2012 and 2018, the majority from poachers. It's easy to see why something needs to be done to protect endangered animals in Africa. The solution isn't as simple, unfortunately. When the black mambas were created, people were certain it would fail. Men in their communities laughed at them, and they were very vocal about uh-huh. it, saying it wouldn't work. So unarmed women versus well-armed poachers seems like a recipe for disaster, but these ladies have proven them wrong and earned the respect of much of the community. Girl power. I know. <laughs> Part of why I love I, this. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. No, Seriously. No weapons. I mean, that's... Well, and they can, they can... So they have, you know, walkie-talkies. Okay. So if they're endangered, they can radio in to someone who does have a weapon. Right. So they could utilize that. But as far as the ladies out on foot monitoring the fence or doing road blockades yeah none of them are armed wow they're all just are they is this like an eight hour day or like yeah eight oh, hours okay, like... definitely so they they patrol the fence and okay. i, I want to say it's like 78 miles um they patrol the fence walking like 20 kilometers a day and then i read that they'll go back have dinner and then you know another crew will go out at night at night so during the day they always are at least in pairs okay at night they're only in the jeep they do not walk because, you know, animals hunt They're right. at night. They're nocturnal. It's too so too dangerous, yeah. Way too dangerous for them. And becoming a black mamba is definitely no joke, even though these usually men yeah. are mocking them. Uh, and includes three months of training, 
And once again, different websites said different things, but according to Craig Spencer, it was three months of training and requires total dedication from the recruits. They have an assortment of challenges to meet, everything from running three miles a day to classroom lectures. Keep in mind that they walk 20 kilometers a day to monitor park, so they have to be physically conditioned. Right. They learn surveillance skills. They have, um, like, up in trees and in hot spots, they'll have cameras, so they can, they're watching those cameras. So and, it's kind of high tech, too. Oh, and uh, is, I want to yeah. say it was Samsung okay. that has partnered with them, which makes me want to go get a Samsung phone. That's awesome. But um, it has partnered with them to to watch spots where they know that um, maybe watering holes where the rhinos might be and poachers might be more likely to go on the attack. So they le- learn surveillance skills and their communication system and compliance techniques. The last month of training, they say, is the worst. It's the most challenging with participants working on their bush survival skills. They're expected to survive in the wilderness without food or water and build a shelter. One lady said, like, she had to go forever in a day without a shower. It was, like, a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah. So I, I didn't put that in here because it seemed like too much of time. <laughs> like, right, No right. way because you've gone that whole time. But anyway, so just know that they're going a long time without a shower. And keep in mind, it isn't just the poachers these ladies have to be concerned with. The elements and the environmental conditions can be brutal. It's often over 100 degrees as they're patrolling the fence on foot looking for any signs of illegal activity. And they also have to be cautious of the big five. Elephants, lions, leopards, rhinos, and buffaloes. After all, the animals don't know the black mamas are out there to protect them. The ladies have many stories of animals behaving just like wild animals do which is why they only travel by Jeep at night. Too dangerous to patrol on foot. Still, they've never had a casualty, according to Spencer. He's never had to raise a weapon at a wild animal in the 24 years he's been at the park. Whoa. Which I love. Yeah. The women are the first line of defense for the animals, or boots on the ground, as they say. They're the eyes and ears for the animals, and apparently rhinos need all the help they can get with their eyesight. They have extremely poor vision and can only see... I didn't know that either until... Researching this, they can only see maybe 15 meters away, forcing them to rely mostly on smell. This approach has been quite successful. Snaring and poaching is down once again. Lots of different numbers. I saw everything from 63% to 76% in Kruger National Park. So we'll just say it's down a lot. Yeah, definitely. Craig Spencer, the founder, noted that before the Black Mambas, we were tripping all over rhino carcasses. (gasps) But they've seen, uh, and that was the end of the quote, they've seen a marked improvement in the last, since they started. And there was a period of time, 10 months worth, where they didn't have a single rhino killing. Oh, Pretty impressive. super impressive. They've had requests, requests from Zimbabwe, Nambia, and Mozambique for ways to replicate their program in areas. So it's definitely getting noticed and people are recognizing the importance of it. It isn't just patrolling itself that impresses me. These ladies are also educating surrounding communities as their story gets out. The world is learning about the importance of conservation. So they're on the reserve for 21 days at a time, and then they have 10 days off where they help with the bush babies. And the, the, it has a whole slew of things that they offer with their education program. The mini bush babies are for kids age 7 to 9, grades 2 and 3, And it's a one-day course they offer with drawings, singing, to engage the kids. And they keep it super lighthearted to focus on fun and easy ways to understand lessons. But it's still centered on the importance of conservation. 
And then the Bush Babies program is for kids aged 12 to 17, grades 6 to 7. This program works with 10 schools in the area. And they work together with the school curriculum to provide a more in-depth introduction into conservation, ecology, and the Big Five and the importance of taking care of the Big Five and respecting the Big Five. The um, Nature Guardians, this group, this is the group I'd want to be part of, because they're chosen by the Bush Babies. They're hand-picked to help keep their schools clean and litter-free, which I love, to encourage environmental awareness. So these kids meet once a month to identify a conservational issue, and then they discuss a solution and a way to tackle the problem. Wow, that's So super smart. They also have environmental bush camps. They're awarded to the top achievers of the school program. Participants have to earn 70% or higher to qualify. But these kids, another thing I'd want to do, (laughs) they get a boat cruise, they get game drives, bush walks, and a two-night sleepover in a safe and secured spot in the Blue Old Natural Reserve. They have a Dress Me to Learn. This is a program to give shoes and clothes to kids in need. Well, they said in, in need, and they yeah. had that in quotes. Because I, I feel like all of them are. But a lot of these kids, their shoes are torn and completely worn out because they have to walk so far for school. Right. Something we don't even think of here. And then finally, they have a program for elders in the park. And these participants are six or better. And it's sponsored by Global March for Elephants and Rhinos. They said that a huge part of their problem is they're trying to educate the older generation because they find that the younger generation I think is a little more pliable but the older right. generation yeah. they still don't see these uh, take these women as seriously and the issue of conserving animals as seriously as they should these kids go home and share what they've learned with their families and education is really where you break the cycle oh, for sure this is what I love from their website the objectives of the black mamba project are not only the protection of rhinos through boots on the ground, but also through being a role model in their communities. They want their communities to understand that the benefits are greater through rhino conservation rather than poaching, addressing the social and moral decay that is a product of the rhino poaching within their communities. They're concerned for their children's sake, as the false economy has brought loose morals and narcotics into their communities. These women are now role models in their communities. Many are mothers and the family breadwinners. We're talking for a month. You want to guess how much they make? I have no idea. <laughs> Between, uh, like I saw, two twenty-four. I saw two sixty. So Whoa. for a month, and for some of them, they're caring for parents, grandparents, and children with that. But still, they're they're thrilled to be they're thrilled to be working. I'm glad they didn't listen when people laughed at this idea. As one black mamba said, anything a man can do, I can do. I'm thinking of that song. Anything you can do, I can do better. Better. (laughs) Uh, Spencer envisioned this all-women anti-poaching unit for their nurturing and caring nature, and his vision has definitely paid off. He said that he's found women do a better job out there than men because they're more observant. They pick up on a lot more than men. They don't have the distractions that men have out there. He said a lot of the men are distracted with the big stuff like the helicopters and the guns and the quads and the four by fours out there. The and twice. Said, yeah, the twice out there. And you, you absolutely need those. But um, he just said women notice a lot more. Obviously, COVID has impacted South Africa as the travel industry came to a halt due to the pandemic. This means more hunger and need in the area. The Black Mambas have once again shown why they are true role models. Their website is running a food security campaign. 
As people donate food, the Black Mambas are safely delivering the food parcels in addition to their usual ranger duties. So each of these food parcels, $20, people can get on and donate the $20, and it feeds a family of four for a week. Wow. I know. Seriously, I can't feed my family a meal for $20, but this is feeding a family of four for a week. So super impressive. We have a long ways to go, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. I'm inspired with these women empowering each other and those around them. It reminds me of the importance of teamwork. If a pack of unarmed women can discourage illegal poachers, what other crazy sounding ideas are out there to improve the world? They, in Africa, really, motherhood is central to their society and they're revered as creators and nurturers. So I think it's so smart that Spencer used that idea for this group. And I love that they have, they love that they stand for Black Mambas. BM also stands for Best Mother. And it also stands for Be More. And I think that that should challenge all of us. I'm sure you've heard the name Maya Chaka. She's the first uh, NFL black woman. Oh, yes, woman. yes, 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 yes. Oh, I saw... I got into a disagreement with my husband with this because oh. she is also African-American, correct? Yeah. 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 He argued with me about that, oh, okay. but go ahead. Yeah, she spent 14 years teaching health and physical education to at-risk students in Virginia Beach. And she sees this high-profile promotion to the NFL as a lesson to her students more than, like, a historical milestone, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. She's excited, especially what her new role means to her students and women who come after her. Just blazing the trail. I know, totally. For girl power. Exactly. You know, her path to officiating football is interesting. Out of college, she was interested in becoming a basketball referee. Because after all, she played basketball in college, and she mentioned how to my, tall is she? She when I saw I don't know how tall she okay. is. I should have yeah. sorry. No, no I just I didn't feel like she appeared that tall, but I guess go yeah. Ahead. But she mentioned it to a colleague of hers, and he urged her to try football. And she's like, I don't know anything about football. And he told her about their really great training classes, and she's like, You're athletic. You can learn the rules. And you know what? She fell in love with the sport. And after years of officiating Pac-12, Conference USA, NFL development programs for officials, she got the call from the NFL to ref. Wow. I know. I just think it's so Big deal cool. for her. Yeah. And she says, it wasn't easy. She said, just because the door is open now, that doesn't mean that I can relax. Oh, absolutely not. Because people, their standards for her are going to be higher. Are higher for than, sure. Yeah. And she says, I still go through the football mentality. I still have that hustle, that dog mentality every single day. And that's the grind, you know. But I love that. I know. She's in a, you know, male-dominated world. Right. But definitely paving the way for future girls it's to awesome. take over. We've talked a lot about people making an impact in the world, but I came across this with one of my friends, Bob Hammett, who has a great Instagram account if anybody wants to follow him, and also a couple trivia books that I love to do with my family, but that'll have to be another day. But it's on an animal. It's on a dog that has helped save so many people. And this, the most decorated dog in military history is named Sergeant Stubby. (laughs) 
That's cute. <laughs> when he was little, he was a stray wandering around New Haven, Connecticut. And one day he saw the 102nd Airborne training and preparing on the campus of Yale University. They were preparing to go to Europe to fight in World War I. He jumped in and started participating in the drills. The young soldiers took a liking to him, which I oh, would yeah. <laughs> I can I see can why. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, when you see his picture, it is so cute. So they gave him the nickname Sergeant Stubby. He began learning all the drills and formations. He even learned how to salute by oh. raising his right paw above his right eye. Oh my goodness. How cute is that? So cute. When it was time to go, one of the soldiers snuck Stubby onto the ship. When he was confronted about the dog by an angry officer at sea, the private showed him what Stubby could do, and all he allowed him onto the onto the uh, ship to stay with the troops. He participated in 17 battles. Whoa. Before being injured by a grenade. What did he do? He, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> he learned how to detect mustard gas. Okay. Remember World War One? Yeah. One time he started barking wildly, running around and jumping on beds, and soldiers in the barracks were wondering what was going on. Turned out that the Germans were preparing a gas attack. Wow. And Stubby had saved dozens, maybe hundreds of American lives. He could detect wounded soldiers on the battlefield, run to them, and bark until a medic could arrive. One time he sniffed out a German spy and attacked him until the American troops got there. When he came home, he was hosted by President Wilson at the White House. Presidents Coolidge and Harding later did the same. He spent his his last few years as a dog celebrity, but I just love Bob Hammond's story on Sergeant Stubby. Because once again, you know, this tiny little thing saved a ton of people and made a huge difference. And we all can do something. Like and subscribe. Follow Transgensional Inspiration on Facebook and Instagram. 